One of the most significant events in human history is happening right now. Every 2,000 years, God has sent a prophet to reveal a new covenant between humanity and the Creator. The next prophet has recently been discovered, and the Third Testament of the Bible is currently being crafted. The Supplicant Movement is proud to host this series of podcasts by the living prophet himself. These podcasts are designed to complement the Last Testament, not replace it. Any discrepancies between the podcast and the Last Testament should be deferred to the written holy text. Hi, this is your prophet. Welcome to my series of podcasts as I explore the Last Testament and how it can transform your life to build a stronger relationship with your Creator, your family, your friends, and your community. And I'm here to share that with you. You know, I feel blessed that God has chosen me as an instrument to usher in this new age of humanity. And I'm happy that you can be here with me on this incredible moment in our history. I hope I can be of help to you in understanding the Final Covenant. Draw me a line at our website, godhasevolved.com, and introduce yourself uh, when you get a chance. I'd love to hear from you. I want to start out right up front by thanking you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I appreciate you having an open mind and an open heart to at least just hear me out. You're probably a little skeptical about me, and that's understandable. I mean, I'm just some anonymous voice on the internet, and I'm making some pretty bold statements. So, if you're wondering, you know, what the heck's going on here? Who is this guy? I want you to know that I'm with you, and I'm going to try to address all that in this podcast. But hopefully I'll be able to convey this to you. Your life can only be successful when you live it through God. If your life is missing something, if you don't have a notion of fulfillment and excitement in your everyday life, if you're not content with your world, it's because you're not with God. Listen, God created everything, and when He created you, He came up with a plan for you. You have a unique path to take that's entirely your own. And when you follow that path, great things are going to happen for you. But when you don't follow that path, uh, things aren't going to go so well for you. The Last Testament goes into detail about how to best live your life through God. For the first time, God has given humanity technologies to improve your mind, your body, your spirit, so you can have stronger relationships, better health, financial security, and the ability to contribute on a massive level. This really is the owner's manual for your soul. The people who I've had the privilege to share this information with have seen their lives transformed into lives of just getting by, to lives of incredible adventure, excitement, and fulfillment. A sense of intense satisfaction that can only come from doing the work that the Creator has designed for you to specifically do. Have you ever been doing something, whether it's on the job, uh, playing sports, exercising a skill set, you know, whatever it is, and you felt unstoppable, like you weren't capable of making mistakes? Athletes call that in the zone. It happens when you're functioning at your absolute peak at whatever it is you're doing. It's when you fly through a test, nail a sales call, or feel like you can catch any ball thrown at you. It's an incredible feeling. Well, the people who I've shared the Final Covenant with and who've applied its principles have that in-the-zone feeling, but not just for a few minutes a day. They have that feeling, that emotion, every single day, all day long. Every second of every day, they are functioning at a higher level than the rest of us. And I want that for you. Listen, I revealed the Last Covenant privately with hundreds of individuals all around the world from priests, preachers, rabbis, and clerics of Islam to some of the most hardcore atheists and agnostics you're ever going to meet. Everyone who has taken the time to study the Final Covenant has had their lives transformed in ways they never imagined.
but I should take a moment to tell you a little bit more about who I am. I'm a family man who lives in the United States. At a very young age, I discovered I had the gift of prophecy. Now, I'll get more into that in a later podcast, but suffice it to say, I was born with a deep and profound understanding of the will and nature of God. The gift of prophecy has only been granted to two other individuals in history, Moses and Christ, although Christ was obviously more than just a mere prophet. And since God seems to dole this gift out only once every 1,500 to 2,000 years, that burden has found itself with me. Now here's the strange thing. I'm mentioned in the New Testament. Christ promises that I will arrive. He calls me the Comforter, but other translations have called me the Helper, the Counselor, or the Advocate. You can find me in the book of John, specifically John chapter 14, verses 16, 17, and 26 and John chapter 16 verses 7, 12, 13, and 14. Now I'm not going to go into great detail about all that here, but if you're curious, check out my podcast specifically for Christians, where I go over all these verses in detail and explain why they specifically refer to me and not the Holy Ghost of the Trinity uh, that those verses are commonly misinterpreted for. Now I have to tell you this, I'm not entirely sure why he selected me to be a prophet. I'm a pretty reserved person and I hate public speaking, but anyone who's studied the history of God, you're going to see that he likes to pick on the ordinary Joe. The Bible is filled with average people being called to extraordinary tasks in his name. I should also point out that I don't have any special God superpowers. I can't raise the dead, heal the sick, change water to wine. I'm a lousy swimmer, so walking on water is pretty much out of the question. Now, in all ways, I'm just an ordinary guy. I have the normal concerns for my family, I sin, I seek forgiveness, I procrastinate, and I make mistakes, lots of mistakes. Really, the only difference between me and you is that I have this profound insight into the nature of God. I should should talk more about that. You see, I don't have faith that God exists. I don't have a belief that God exists. I know for a fact that God exists. I'm really not explaining that well. Let me put it to you this way. All your life you have known one thing with absolute certainty, and that is you exist. From your perspective, the entire world could be an illusion, uh, a figment of your imagination. Heck, you could just be dreaming right now or be in the middle of some massive virtual reality computer simulation. There's no way to really prove anything outside yourself actually exists. I know this is more existential philosophy than religion, but I'm sure you've heard the saying, I think, therefore I am. That simply means that since you're self-aware, it's the only thing you know with absolute certainty. Everything else is questionable. Well, I was born with two absolute certainties. Number one, I think therefore I am. And number two, the substance of the final covenant between God and humanity. So that feeling of certainty that you have that you exist, that's the same feeling of certainty I have about the final covenant. Pretty deep stuff, right? Also, I want to say this. If you're already a person of faith, in no way am I here to tell you that what you believe or how you choose to acknowledge the Creator is wrong. Despite what most organized religions tell you, God doesn't really care how you come towards Him, just as long as you do in fact come towards Him. If you have a path you've chosen, be it a doctrine defined by a religious institution or you're simply following a path uniquely your own, if that path leads you to God, then it's the correct path to take. I know, I know. The specific religion you belong to may have told you that there's only one way to salvation. For instance, 
traditional Christians say the only way into the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus Christ. Now, I address that issue in my podcast for Christians, but regardless, you should know that most of the world's religions have it wrong. There's no single path to God. There are many. The Last Testament is really an extension of your faith. It's a fork in the road. The last time we heard from God in any direct way was over 2,000 years ago when Christ sacrificed his life in order to establish a new covenant between humanity and God. The Last Testament, which is being produced while you're listening to this, is really the latest news from God. It basically describes the new relationship God is establishing with humanity under the Final Covenant. Now, you don't have to follow the Last Testament. You can just ignore it if you want. But if you choose to follow it, your relationship with God and His creation will be all the more richer for you. Look at it like this. If I handed you two cookbooks, one from ancient Rome and one that was released this year, and I told you to make a recipe from one of the books to bake some bread, you're most likely going to open the book from the modern times for that recipe. And why is that? Well, it's because it's going to be more up to date and we'll use modern appliances like electric ovens and stoves as opposed to stone wood burning ovens that the cookbook from ancient Rome is going to demand. The modern book will also call for ingredients that are readily available at any grocery store and use measurements that you can understand. You know, good luck finding ingredients the ancient book wants much less understanding their system of measurements. But let me ask you this. Would you end up with a loaf of bread if you followed either book? Yeah, absolutely. You'll just have a more difficult time if you follow the 2,000-year-old book. But the end result is still the same. You still get some hot bread. And that's what I mean when I say if you follow the Last Testament, your life's going to be richer. You'll be using modern tools and measurements to reach the goal of following God's path for you. And you'll be able to act in situations in your life with the most current version of the information that God has conveyed. That will provide you with clarity in your thoughts and conviction in your actions. Now, if you're an atheist or agnostic, I especially want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. You're probably listening to this because you're a little curious and skeptical about what I have to say. You know, the best definition I've ever heard for a skeptic is someone who wants to believe in something but can't find a reason to. Well, I won't be providing any scientific evidence supporting the existence of God. Uh, no one can do that. Science is the study of the natural world, and God is supernatural and falls outside the realm of the natural world. But that's not to say that science and God need to constantly conflict. Religion and science have been at odds with each other for thousands of years. Well, guess what? Not anymore. The Last Testament goes into great detail about how we should be embracing science and technology and not allow ourselves to be held down by pseudoscience mixed with mythology. If you're an atheist or agnostic, I think you're going to find the information in the Last Testament is going to shock you about how level-headed and practical it is. But can you do me a favor? Can you, just for a little bit, set aside some of the cynicism during the podcast and reserve judgment until after I finish instead of picking apart everything I say immediately after I say it. Listen, you have every right to reject what I'm saying. In fact, that's what free choice is all about. But if in the back of your mind you're someone who wants to believe but can't find a reason, don't close your mind off too quickly and miss out on this opportunity to maybe finally discover that reason. Alright, now I want to tell you a little bit about what's been going on in God's world over the last 2,000 years. And here's the most shocking news. 
hell has been destroyed, and Lucifer has returned to the left-hand side of God. Now that's big. That's really big. Do you remember the parable of the lost son? Sometimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son. You can find it in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. If you don't know it, uh, take some time to read it. It's a beautiful analogy of God's love. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it here, but basically it's a story about a father who had a son that left home to live life in the fast lane. And after the son had spent all of his money and was starving, he returned home with his tail between his legs and asked for his father's forgiveness. The son was expecting a harsh punishment, but instead the father shocks the son by honoring his return with a celebration and a lavish feast. Now, this story is normally used as a description of God's readiness to forgive. But this story actually has a second prophetic meaning. In fact, all of the parables in Luke 15 refer to the same event, Lucifer's return to heaven. When Lucifer reconciled with God, there was a great celebration in heaven and God destroyed hell. The souls that were in hell that were ready ascended into heaven. The souls that were not ready moved into purgatory. Now, as you probably can imagine, this has a profound effect on humanity. Sin and a rejection of God no longer lands you in hell for all eternity. Instead, it puts you in purgatory. Uh, but don't get me wrong, purgatory is not a fun place to be. But unlike hell, which is designed for a place of punishment, purgatory is a place for cleansing. What this means is that all souls now eventually will enter heaven. The fortunate few the individuals who walked with God on earth, they, they're going to enter heaven the moment they die. The others will enter purgatory and start the long, arduous work of cleansing so that they can enter heaven. It's vastly easier to become clean on earth than it is in purgatory. Every soul in purgatory, without exception, wishes they would have done the work of becoming clean while they were on earth. I'll get more into detail about purgatory in a later podcast. But for now, just keep in mind that you want to get clean here on earth. So how do you do that? Well, God's provided an instruction manual in the form of the Last Testament. Now, now the ascension of Lucifer and the destruction of hell has had rippling effects here on earth. You can see this reflected in our human history, beginning with Galileo's ushering in of the Age of Reason. The Age of Reason is the beginning of our modern society. It's a time of radical change in science, technology, and philosophy. It's the moment when we started stripping away all the superstitions and mythologies that have plagued humanity since its inception. If you're in history at all, the Age of Reason is really fascinating because it's a period of time in human history where the old rules and the new rules are in constant conflict, beginning with Bruno and Galileo's assertions about the nature of our galaxy. In fact, most of modern societies attitudes and beliefs about individual rights and our embracing of science and technology really begin in the age of reason. Now whether the ascension of Lucifer was prompted by humanity's shift during the age of reason or whether the age of reason is really an aftermath effect of the ascension of Lucifer that's up for debate. Unfortunately I don't have the answer for that but the fact remains both events occurred around the same time the 1600s. It's right about now that I can hear the atheists and agnostics in the back of the room getting frustrated and pounding their fists on the table saying, I thought you said the Last Testament was level-headed and practical. You're spouting off fairy tales and mythology. 
And to them I say, you're right. I am spouting off fairy tales and mythology. Everything I said about Lucifer and Hell are just an extension to Christian mythology. There is no Lucifer, Hell, or Purgatory in the same way I described. In fact, in fact, God isn't even really like what I've described and what's written in the Bible. Almost all of what's in the Bible and what I'm describing about the details of the afterlife is wildly inaccurate at best. It's a big lie. Have I got your attention now, atheist? I thought so. But don't get too excited. Let me explain what I mean. The task of describing God in the afterlife is impossible. That's because our language is based on the natural world. For instance, if I talk about an apple, we can have a conversation where I'd be able to convey the information about that apple to you fairly accurately. We both know what an apple looks like, tastes like, smells like, so if I tell you to imagine a purple apple, you can do that pretty easily, and we both have a very similar image pictured in our heads. But what if you were born blind and you've never seen the color purple? What then? How different would the image of your purple apple be in your head from the image of mine? More importantly, what can I possibly do or say to make you match the image in my head with yours? I mean, how do you describe the color purple to someone who's never seen colors? How do you even describe what a color is? How about music to a deaf person? How do you do that? Well, this is the problem a prophet faces. How do you describe something that the listener has no point of reference? Y you can't. So we've done the best we could in describing this stuff through stories and analogies. For the record, I wouldn't have chosen to use angels, devils, Satan, heaven, and hell as a way to describe these things. I like describing them more as energies or substances. Heck, the force from the Star Wars movies is a better analogy of what God is than what's stated in the Bible. But I can see why human-like entities were used to describe these things. It makes it a little easier to comprehend. You know, it gets the job done. I mean, it's a little unsettling to say that there's a vast presence that exists outside the natural world, yet binds and directs the natural world, and loves you more profoundly than anyone on earth ever will. Yeah, I can see the bumper stickers for that now. So I plan to continue using the traditional Christian mythology in order to convey the information I've been responsible to give you. It's not accurate, but since there's no way to be accurate, the mythology is really just gets the job done. All right, so Lucifer's in heaven, hell has been destroyed, so the most obvious question is, what happened to accountability? I mean, does this mean that there are no consequences to sin? Without hell in existence, doesn't it mean that we can just rape and murder and steal without worrying about having to pay for these actions after we die? Well, not exactly. In order to answer these questions, I have to pull the camera out a little bit and show you the bigger picture. I need to talk to you a little bit about God's overall plan for humanity. It's only in this context that we can understand why the destruction of hell and the ascension of Lucifer isn't just interesting. It's absolutely mandatory. And here's why. God's plan for humanity is to reach a state of absolute perfection. Not just as individuals, but as an entire species. He wants everyone on earth to become Christ-like. And the cool thing is, eventually, that's going to happen. I mean, imagine a world without selfishness, where everyone is full of compassion, peace, and love, where every individual strives to lift each other up to new heights. Think of a place where judgment and prejudice are inconceivable, 
and everyone is working towards the same goal of getting humanity closer to God. Sounds like a pipe dream, right? Wrong. God has said that this is the final destination of humanity. This is the direction that we're all heading for. I mean, can you imagine? There's a time coming in our history on Earth where the default values are love, respect, joy, and compassion. The Earth will be filled with Christ-like individuals, so much so that God will eventually wrap the Earth into heaven and they will become one, indiscernible from each other. That's God's plan, heaven on Earth, for all creation to fold back into the Creator, a sort of reverse Big Bang. And the incredible thing is, you're going to see that. Now you may not see it while you're alive on earth, but since your soul is eternal, you're definitely going to experience heaven on earth. So what does this have to do with accountability for your sins? Well, in order for all creation to fold back into the Creator, you can't have a part of creation that will never fold back in called hell. The end game can't be everything and then hell. So hell had to be destroyed and the civil war in heaven that erupted from the fall of Lucifer had to be corrected. So now, when you die, and if you are a sinner, you aren't cast into hell with no chance for parole. Instead, you are placed in a purgatory so you can prepare yourself for the ascension into heaven. So let me give you an example. Adolf Hitler. I think we can all agree that he was a pretty bad person. He was responsible for the death of millions and millions of people during his short-lived ethnic cleansing program. Not to mention the countless lives he shattered, families he destroyed, and property he damaged. If anyone deserves an eternity in hell, it's certainly him. But if hell no longer exists, then where is he? Now, I can't say with absolute certainty, but from his long list of crimes, he most likely is in purgatory. I can't really see how he would have possibly gotten his soul right with God in just a few decades. So does this mean that Hitler caught a break? Hardly. Purgatory is not a fun place to be at all. It's a place to prepare your soul for ascension into heaven, but it's no place you want to be. In a later podcast, I'll be describing in detail the nature of evil in purgatory, but suffice it to say there's not a single soul in purgatory that's glad he waited until after he died to try to get right with God. On earth you're presented with almost a constant barrage of opportunities to embrace your creator. In purgatory, the chances are few and far between. Purgatory is the ultimate place of loneliness and unrequited love. It's not a place you want to be at all. Okay, so now you have the gist of the history of God. But how do you get yourself ready for ascension on earth and avoid purgatory altogether? Well, this is the cool thing. God goes into great detail on how to do that. In fact, the entire second half of the Last Testament explores that subject. I'm almost out of time, so I won't go into that here, but... Let me tell you this, if the New Testament's main rule is, do unto others as you would have done unto you, then the last Testament's instructions can be summed up as, God helps those who help themselves. God wants you to take personal responsibility for your actions, and he set up a system of carrots and sticks to make sure that happens. Have you ever noticed that when you do good things, good things tend to follow? It's similar to the system of karma established by the Eastern religions. Basically, when you live your life according to the plan God has established for you, suddenly God appears everywhere and through everything. It's amazing. The more you walk with God, 
the more God envelops and rewards your life. All the challenges and struggles you're going through on a daily basis, they're not obstacles, but challenges. Gifts given to you by God to bring you closer to Him. You were created by God and are made of God. So when you live your life designed for you, your life manifests God. I wish I had more time to go into all that here, but I'd encourage you to pick up another of my podcasts and explore a little more. Or better yet, take some time to read the Last Testament as it's being developed. These are exciting times and your life is about to change in profound and exciting ways. Everyone comes to God's embrace eventually. So I have one question for you. How long? How long are you going to wait to step into the path that God has provided for you? How long are you going to wander around pretending that life on earth has the answers? How long are you going to fool yourself into believing that you can find happiness and satisfaction outside of your Creator? If you're spending your life like most people, then you're always chasing after some goal or dream thinking that it will finally satisfy you. And when you achieve that dream and realize, is this it? Is this what I've worked so hard for? What then will you do? Create another goal, another dream. Hope that this time it's going to be different. Hope that maybe this time you're going to be satisfied and content. There's only one goal and one dream that's going to give you the sense of satisfaction that you desire that sense of purpose and contentment, all others are false hope. In all your travels, in all your journeys through life, in every mistake, every embarrassment, rejection, disappointment, travesty, and lonely moment, you're going to be pushed towards the inevitable truth that God is the only path to take. This is your final destination. So again, my question is, how long How long will it take for you to put aside all of these distractions and do what God has created you to do? How long? If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your family and friends. Also, be sure to vote for us on podcast sites, blogs, and forums you may visit. If you'd like more information about the Last Testament, the prophet, or the supplicant movement, you can visit us on the web at godhasevolved.com. There you can join our community, enter debates, find other podcasts, and share ideas with other people interested in the Last Testament. Finally, we're eager to get the monumental news of the Last Testament out to the general public. Any help you can provide, either financial or otherwise, will really help. Without financial support, the ability to get this message out is extremely hindered. God bless and have a great week.